0: So let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that, Lord, the name of Jesus has such power and authority. And one day at the name of Jesus, every, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that you are Lord to the glory of the Father. And so, Father, today we thank you and praise you, God, for just the opportunity we have to gather in your name, in the name of Jesus. What a powerful name that is. And I pray, God, that as we, as we look at your word today, God, I pray that it would come alive. I pray that as we learn to speak Jesus, that, God, that you would just do your work in our lives. Thank you for what you're going to accomplish today. I pray, God, that everyone here today will walk out of here with something different than they came in with. And, Lord, we'll just praise you and thank you in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated if you're in the house. And if you're at home, we are so delighted you're with us as well. And uh, so welcome to Grace Church. And uh, today we're going to continue in our series, I Speak Jesus. So I want to remind you of the premise of I Speak Jesus because I believe it is so important for us to understand it. Here's the premise. If we follow Jesus, we should begin to sound like him. In other words, people should begin to misunderstand our words for the words of Jesus. They should look at our lives and our words and they they should see our gentleness and our kindness and our love and our compassion and our truth and all those things together and they should begin to see Jesus inside of us. People should say, that sounds like Jesus. Something that comes out of your mouth, they should say about you, that sounds like Jesus. So this isn't just blasting verses of scripture at people. I want to Make that very, very clear because uh, with the advent of social media, Christians have become a lot bolder in blasting and sending out, you know, bombs, just, you know, hurling these grenades at people. And that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, the Word of God is the Word of God, and it's powerful and, and sharp and powerful, and, you know, it is amazing. And so I'm not undermining the Word of God, but what I want you to understand is how we use the Word of God is absolutely essential, and it is powerful when we use it correctly. So today. We're going to explore speaking Jesus with a Samaritan woman. Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman that is historical, powerful, amazing, life-altering, history-altering for a lot of different ways. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But to understand this, we have to understand the history of the Jewish people. So if you don't mind for just a minute, I'm going to give you some information that maybe most of you don't know. And as you read your Bible, this is going to help you understand some of the things that you read. So you all realize, you all recognize the name of David, right? When we say David, he was the king of Israel. David had a son by the name of Solomon who succeeded him in his throne. He took over the land of Israel. And when Solomon died... He had a son, Solomon had a son by the name of Rehoboam and Rehoboam uh, was kind of a cantankerous guy and probably raised in the the palace a little bit entitled maybe, I'm thinking that. And so there was a a guy by the name of Jeroboam who led a group of people up to confront Rehoboam because here's what the deal was, is that Solomon had heavily taxed all the land of Israel. And uh, there was a lot of reasons for that. So, so Jeroboam comes along and talks to the son of Solomon and says, listen, we will follow you. We will do whatever you want us to do, but you got to lighten the tax load. And, uh, that, and if you'll do that, then you, we're in. We're, we'll, 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 we'll crown you as the king and it'll be all good and, and life will be sweet just like it was under Solomon. And so uh, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, says, well, let me think about this for three days. So he went away. Uh, so these guys went away and came back three days later. In the meantime, uh, the son of Solomon had these advisors. And so he went to the advisors and said, This is what they're proposing. What do you think? And all the advisors, all of them said, This is amazing. They're going to follow you. Lower the taxes. So he heard the counsel of the wise old guys in the land. And uh, this young buck decided to do his own thing. So he said, Listen, uh, when the, when when Jeroboam came back to get the answer, Rehoboam said, "Hey, you know what? My dad Solomon, you think he was bad on taxes? You ain't seen nothing yet. You know, you got whipped with whips, and now I'm going to whip you with scorpions." And he went on, you know, and so basically it created a huge divide in the country. Jeroboam left that day, and uh, he was he was ordained as uh, the king of ten tribes. Benjamin and Judah were the other tribes. And so there was this major split. So the northern kingdom was under the rule of Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was a you know, pretty decent guy. But over a period of time and succeeding kings, what happened was, is Israel, northern Israel, under, under, the, under this regime, began to have idolatry in it. And in about 722, God had had enough. He had sent all the prophets and said, listen, stop this, stop it, stop it, turn from your idolatry. And they chose not to turn from their idolatry. And rather, what they did was that they went deeper into idolatry. So God did exactly what he told Israel he would do from the beginning, is if you have idolatry in your land... I'm going to raise up armies against you, so that's exactly what happened. So God raised up the Assyrian army, they came in and, and conquered the northern tribes, the Ten tribes, and uh, swept them away to Assyria, and left a few folks in the land. Now this is where it gets kind of kind of tricky. So what the king of Assyria did is they said, well, we need to repopulate this land because we need to have farmers and butchers and all that kind of thing. So he brought people in, relocated them into the land of Israel. And what happened was is there began to be a, a marriage, literal marriages between these two people groups. And out of these marriages came a people group called the Samaritans. Now, this is what you need to know about the Samaritans. The majority of Jews were essentially racist against anybody Samaria. All right? So just to speak it out loud, they hated them. They hated them as a people group, and they hated them because they rejected the temple. Those two reasons. And uh, so many of them saw the Samaritans as renegades and and believe that they only they only deserve God's wrath and besides that the samaritans only accepted the first five books of the bible that's all they accepted all the rest of it they rejected and they rejected the temple in jerusalem so that's the story behind what we're going to see and hear today and now we have this people group called the samaritans that everybody around them hates them so much so that if a jewish man or woman would have to take a trip to uh, the north part of the country. They would go around. They would take a day's journey around Samaria just so they wouldn't have to put their feet on this unholy land. That's their perspective. So you all with me on that? You all understood exactly what I said there? So now enters the stage that now we come to Jesus. And uh, and I forgot one more amazing, disturbing fact. Uh, the fact is, is that they also had no regard for women in their midst. And so here is, I mean, women were considered as, even, even in Israel, women were considered property. They had no voting rights. They had no rights in the public square. In fact, that a man was not supposed to talk to a woman in the open market, in the open spaces. They were good for mourners at funerals and they were good for you know, cooking the, you know, the, the chicken or whatever they were having for dinner that night, but that was the extent of it. So now we have Jesus. So I wanna just set the stage there and so you understand these two things, these two dynamics going on. We have a Samaritan woman who now Jesus has an encounter with and we begin the process in uh, John chapter 4, uh, verse 4, and it says he had to go through Samaria, this is speaking of Jesus, on the way. Eventually he didn't go around, he went right through because he has an, he had an appointment. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk sat wearily beside a well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So here's the scene. Jesus is alone a Samaritan woman who cannot come and draw water at the normal time of day, which would be morning, because all the, because of who she is. We're going to see that in just a minute. Now we have her and Jesus alone, and they have this encounter that changed history. So I want to show you this encounter uh, on film, and this is a clip from The Chosen, and I need to just set it up by saying uh, the fact is is that everything that's in this clip isn't necessarily in the Bible. They've taken some liberty in creating story, but everything is logical, and I think probably within the reason of, of good, and, but it really captures the storyline. So that's why I want to show it to you. So watch this clip from The Chosen.
2: He told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ!
1: <laughs> hey,
0: wait! Your what, dear? You forgot your, um... So let me just make a couple comments and then we'll move on. So first of all, Jesus has done more to liberate the souls of people than anybody in the history of the world and in particular women, I don't care, bar none. He came to liberate and that's exactly what he did and it is, it is amazing what he has done. And Jesus came and spoke into the subject matter of racism and he did more to unite people groups than any single person on the planet. And so if I'm going to learn to speak Jesus, I've got to learn to speak Jesus into the contemporary world that I live in, and I've got to speak it in a way that Jesus would, if he were here today, that's exactly how he would speak. So with that said, I want to just give you several things about this encounter that I think speaks Jesus. First of all, Jesus alone satisfies. If I'm going to speak Jesus, I've got to believe that message myself, that Jesus alone satisfies what's broken in me, what's hurting in me, what's uns- what is what is wrong with me, Jesus alone satisfies. If I'm going to speak Jesus, I've got to understand that inside of my soul. Just as a Samaritan woman was looking for men to satisfy her soul, we also look to things outside of Christ to give our hearts meaning and purpose. Don't pass that up for just a minute. Let's just sit there for just a second. There are so many things in this life that we Look to 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 get significance and meaning but the truth is that all of them are empty all of them are unsatisfying in the end and all of them are bro- are just broken cisterns they're just they're just they're just water that leaks that's all it is only Jesus can take an unsatisfied soul and really make it satisfied so Jesus revealed himself to, th- to this woman as as he did he sought to show her what he what that he was the never ending supply of this water that he offered, this water that ultimately satisfies and you don't thirst again. So let me just say this. We have a lot of idols inside of our culture. We have a lot of them. We have a lot of things that we think, you know, we absolutely have to have. And in this pandemic, we've learned how to live without some of them, right? Isn't that true? God took some of those things away from us so that we would have to learn how to just to trust in him. So I wanna talk about One thing that I think that is really important for me to say, because it's in the context of the Samaritan woman. She had five husbands, but really the one that she was currently with wasn't her husband at all. So let me just say this. Marriage has never been designed by God to meet all of your needs. Let me say that to you again. Marriage was never from the beginning designed by God to meet all of your needs. So people go into marriage thinking somehow, some way. God has given me this person, and this person's job description is to meet every need that I have. But that is just not the way God has designed it. I'm not suggesting that marriage is a bad thing. Marriage is an amazing thing. Uh, I love my wife more than words can express, and I know she loves me, but I can't possibly be her ultimate satisfaction. I can't. I am broken. I am sinful. I don't have the tools. I don't have what it takes to be her ultimate satisfaction, and she can't be mine. She can't be my satisfaction. So when I'm looking to any other human being, if you're single here today and you think somehow, way, if you could just find that right person, that your life would be complete and that it would be all good, and I'm just simply saying, you know, I think what marriage has done for me is teach me, and I think my wife would say the same, it's teach me how to trust in Jesus. It's to teach me how to really understand the nature of conflict and the nature of how to humble myself and the nature of how to really work things out. Only Jesus can, can satisfy. And if we look to any other single thing, it is no more than idolatry. And only to the degree that we stop expecting others to be God to us are we free to love others as they really are all the warts, everything, I'm not free to love somebody as long as I'm depending on them to meet every need that I have. I'm only free to love them the way God would have me to love and God gives me a big command to love my wife the way Christ loves the church. That's a pretty huge command, would you agree? That's a big command. And the only way that I could even come close to you know, a tenth of that, the only way that I could ever do that is really by surrendering to God and ultimately by understanding that She can't satisfy what God is designed to satisfy in my life. If I'm looking for my needs to be met, I'm telling you, it's game over. And that's why in our culture, 50% of marriages end up in divorce. Even Even among Christians. Because I think we approach it and we've been told a lie about what marriage is and what it isn't. Marriage has never been designed by God as ultimate satisfaction in this life. And only to the degree that we are free from idolizing human beings are we also free to take our ache to the perfect fulfillment in Jesus. And he's the one that can satisfy it. So first thing that I need to understand with clarity and with understanding is Jesus alone satisfies. Do you believe that? Jesus alone satisfies. The second thing, if I'm gonna learn to speak Jesus, I need to, I need to understand that Jesus was not phased in one bit by this woman's sin. Jesus is not fazed by our sin either. He's just not. And uh, if I speak Jesus, I cannot have, listen to me carefully, I cannot have pet peeve sins where I think I look at that person, I look at I look at that person, I go, whoa, what in the world were they thinking? I can't do that. If I'm going to speak Jesus, if I'm going to speak compassion into people's lives, I've got to see the, the truth of what sin is and i got to realize that Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction of that sin. I can't have that sense. Do, do you know what the worst sin that a, convert, that a person could commit is? Do you know what it is? I'm gonna give you, I'm leaning into this because this is really important for you to hear. The worst sin that a person commit is your sin, not mine. Right? Come on now. You know, we tend to minimize our sins and maximize other people's sins. Hello out there. Isn't that true? We tend to mi- ma- minimize our sins and maximize other people's sins. And if I'm going to speak Jesus, I have, got to, I have to just understand that Jesus is not phased. He is not pushed back. He enters our sins. Some people develop an eye strain looking for trouble in other people's lives. And I'm just simply saying that doesn't allow us to speak Jesus. The Samaritan woman perceived Jesus as a prophet because he gently called out her sin and told every told her everything that she did. Jesus is sovereign and sees the sin within our hearts. He knows and our desires. Here's the here's the scary part is that listen to me carefully, look me in the eye when I say this to you. Listen very carefully. Jesus knows the darkness in your soul. He does. Jesus knows the darkness. In your soul, he knows your thought life, he knows your anger, your bitterness, your rebellion, your hatred. He knows all those things. He is not surprised by our evil desires, rather, he seeks to reconcile us to the Father because of them. He, re- he seeks to reconcile us to the Father, not he doesn't shun away from them, he enters in as the reconciler and sheds his blood on our behalf. And I'm saying, when I speak Jesus, that's how I have to see myself. I have to see myself as a priest unto God, one who is here to pour oil and not judgment, to pour grace and mercy and redemption upon people's lives. Luther wrote this. Well, before I get to Luther, let me just say one thing. Jesus' birth declares God's love for sinners. Do you agree with that? It declares God's love for sinners. Even from his birth, Jesus was standing with sinners. Martin Luther wrote this, Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. Did you know that? The lineage of Christ has some amazing sinners in its midst. And then he he has the audacity, listen to this, this this is a scandal. This is a scandal. He chose you to be one of his children. That's scandalous, right? It's scandalous. Do you agree with that? Because you don't act like it. It's scandalous. You're just, you all y'all are out there staring at me. It's scandalous that God chose you knowing all that you are, and yet he chose you. Such a powerful thing. And if I am going to speak Jesus, then what I've got to learn to do is I have to learn to pour oil on people's lives and not be phased by their sin and not have pet sins. Ones that I say, oh, don't put me around those people. I just can't do that. Third thing, if I'm gonna speak Jesus, I have to enter people's worlds. Jesus entered the Samaritan's world. He was the initiator. It It was very clear that Jesus was the initiator of the conversation. He was there at at an appointed time for a very specific purpose. That is, he sought to listen and understand before he proclaimed truth. I think that's a pretty big deal. If I speak Jesus, I have to learn to listen to people's hurts, their problems, their sins, all that. So on the stage here, I brought two glasses of water, the one on my left, your right, is, represents a person's life who is busy, filled with sin, filled with hurt, filled with shame, filled with guilt. All that is contained in this person's life. And this one on my right and your left represents truth. This is the truth cup. Now, what's going to happen if I try to pour truth into an already full glass? The answer is that it's going to run out all over the floor, right? It's going to be a mess. That's what happens when you and I, when you and I try to pour truth into people's lives when we have not slowed our life down long enough to enter their hurt, enter their life. They're not our mission. They're not our object of love. They are people for whom Christ died. And so here's the deal. If I am ever going to have a chance to have any impact on someone's life, I've got to take the time to drink in the hurt and the pain and the suffering and the story of another person's life. And once I do that, once I've done that first, then I can take truth, and then I can pour it into their life. And when I pour the truth into their life, then they have the capacity to receive it. That's why the average person doesn't see any fruit in their life in terms of evangelism, because all they're trying to do is just be this truth meter, this person who just pours out truth. And the fact is, is that was not Jesus' model. As he became incarnate into this world, he came and he entered people's lives and i'm telling you this is such a life-changing powerful principle that if you'll understand it if you'll understand that it is not compromise to enter into a sinner's life and drink some of the poison that they have not not for the sake of experiencing it with them or not in your own life but drink in some of some of what their story tells so that they have the capacity to understand and receive the truth that Jesus has for the life. Does that make sense to you at all? I'm just telling you, that's why the church in America, I mean, just look at Facebook. People are yelling at each other instead of having a conversation. Let's drink in. Let's listen. Let's learn. My my role in this world is the gospel. And if I'm ever going to have a shot at telling people the gospel, I've got to live incarnationally. I've got to let Jesus be a part of my life in such a way that I start living out and people misunderstand me for Jesus. That's the goal. Not that I would ever call attention to myself, but that I would call attention to him. I speak Jesus means that people misunderstand my words for his. When everybody else rejected the Samaritan woman, when everybody else was exiting, he's entering. He's drinking in. He starts with some questions. It's amazing. It's amazing. The fourth thing and the last thing is is that you have to believe is God changes our story. God changes our story. I've got to believe that with all of my heart. I've got to believe that God is in the business of changing lives. Do you believe that? That God is in the business of changing lives? If I speak Jesus, I need to believe and expect Jesus and the Holy Spirit to move into that person's life. Think now. I want I want you to do I want you to do me a favor right now. I want you to think of a person who you think could never believe on Jesus. I want you to think of a person, I want you to think of a person that you you don't believe that they would ever believe Jesus. They're so hardened in their life that they would never believe on Jesus. You have that person in your mind? Now I want you to repent and tell God you're sorry for underestimating his power. My dad came to Christ when he was 78 after a life of hardness, a life of of, I don't need Jesus. He was a fairly moral man by human standards. He was just a sinner by God's standard. He came to faith in Jesus 78 years old and lived a devout life for the last three years of his life and then died. And I probably, at some point in my journey, I probably in my soul just thought, well, that's it. He's never gonna come to Jesus. You know, one point our, our lives were so sharply divided over Jesus that he just simply said, stop telling me about him. Stop telling me about Jesus. And uh, I respected that. But here we are. He's in heaven. And he is, and, and I had to repent. I truly had to repent in thinking that somehow God couldn't save my dad. God can save anybody. We just have to be that person who speaks Jesus into their life. And I tell you, it is powerful when you understand it. This woman, this Samaritan woman, God used to win an entire village, an entire village of people who hated Jews as much as they were hated. I mean, the gospel, was cha- the gospel changed history because Jesus spoke, because Jesus spoke into this woman's life. History was changed. And if he did that, what else could he do? What could he do in your life? If God can change history, what could he do in your life if you would just start believing in the power of Jesus' words? Just start believing the power of Jesus' words. I'm telling you, God is in a life-changing business. And maybe that person that God wants to change is watching right now in your living room or sitting in this auditorium. I don't know. But maybe you're the person we're talking to. I'm just going to tell you right up front, God could change you. God can give you this water that you'll never thirst again if you will just believe on the one whom God has sent. So, Father, I thank you for this great truth. And I pray, God, that each one of us would learn in our deep souls of how to speak Jesus into a world that God so desperately needs him. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful name. Amen.